BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Aston Villa. 12.30pm kickoff on Saturday. A big, big game for the Gunners, even more so now, having been beaten by Manchester City in midweek. An opportunity for Arsenal to get back to winning ways, but we all know it's not going to be an easy fixture. We're going to be, as I say, uh, looking ahead to that one. We're going to be reacting to Mikel Arteta's press conference, which he gave uh, this morning. We're also going to be taking some of your thoughts and questions from the chat box. We'll be predicting how we think this one's going to go. We'll also be talking about the starting lineup. Is it time for Mikel Arteta to shuffle the pack? We're going to get into all of that on this edition of the show, and I'm delighted uh, to see so many of you joining us live right now. Uh, let me say a few hellos. Uh, big hello to Afsar, uh, to Youngster, uh, to Dez, to Sko. Uh, who else have we got in the chat? We've got uh, Jid. We've got... Uh, keep scrolling, Harry. Scroll faster. Uh, we've got Jon Tora Fjordstad. I hope you're good, my friend. Uh, we've got Johan Amira Sikelela. And um, yeah, great to see so many of you in the chat. Um, thank you as well for all the love on on social media. Uh, following the little piece that I did on on CNN yesterday, talking about obviously the game uh, and Arsenal's sort of wider title chances. Uh, Johan says that CNN presenter was trying to trigger you, Harry. I don't think she was. I don't think she was. I think um, Amanda Davis is fantastic. First of all, she's brilliant at what she does. And she was asking the questions that people want to see asked. And, you know, yeah, there was a, there was an element of, of me going into kind of defense mode because it is really irritated me that, you know, just two weeks ago, people were talking about this Arsenal side as being brilliant, as being fantastic, as, you know, flying as, as a credit to the manager, you know, people were just waxing lyrical about us. And then off the back of, I'm going to say a couple of bad results because the Brentford one, clearly the whole world could see, um, you know, that we were robbed. Um, off the back of that, all of a sudden, it's as though Arsenal are a mess. Arsenal are falling apart. The wheels are coming off. And look, there's there's credence to that opinion. If you believe that this Arsenal side are now going to fall off, that's fine. That's a valid opinion to have. But I just think 
the way that this has been portrayed by people, the way that even some Arsenal fans as well, you know, it's not exclusive to non-Arsenal fans. Even some of us, I think, have been a little bit disrespectful to what Mikel Arteta and this team achieved in the first half of the season. That points return was unbelievable. You know, to get to that return after the first 19 games of the Premier League season was fantastic. And it was way beyond what anybody thought was possible for this Arsenal side. So to now be in a position where you're calling out the manager and you're saying this player is not good enough and that player is not good enough, I think it's a little bit rich, if I'm being honest. I think you can be critical of how we've performed over the last three games if you want to do that. You can be critical of the mistakes made and the errors made against Manchester City. You can do all of that. But I think there needs to be a bit of context in what people are saying or context needs to be applied because it feels like when I listen to a lot of people and when I read a lot of things, a lot of that is missing. And that's not fair. And as I say, in my opinion, it's disrespectful to how good Arsenal have been so far this season. It's disrespectful to say that this Arsenal side, when level on points with Manchester City with a game in hand, is out of the title race, has blown the title race. It's all hyperbole. It's the kind of over-reactionary narrative that seems to do well nowadays online. And I'm sad that actually that's where we've got to, you know, as as society where people, you know, would prefer to look at things through that lens rather than a more balanced uh, sort of way of looking at it. And rather than being a little bit more for the bigger picture, for the wider picture, I guess. But anyway, um, we'll get into the Villa game because that's what we're here to do. But I did want to say at the beginning, I, I was sidetracked by that question uh, from Johan, but I did want to say that, you know, despite all of that and despite sort of trying to be positive and trying to keep the faith, et cetera, et cetera, I do feel, I, I do feel really broken after what happened on Wednesday. Like I found it really, really difficult to get over. And I guess, you know, a lot of people would have felt the same way. Like I kind of just wanted some peace from it. I kind of just wanted to walk away from it for a bit and sort of gather my thoughts. And I had an exchange on on Twitter with Sophie uh, from the Highbury squad yesterday where she was, um, I guess, irritated by the fact that I said after, straight after the game that this was not the time to criticise individuals. This was the time to look at Arsenal as a collective, reflect on what went wrong, reflect on where we weren't good enough, reflect on perhaps where we were good enough. And, and we'll come back to it. And because that's how I felt like there was such a, an air of disappointment. I knew that if I sat there and started breaking it down on social media with all the reactionary kind of stuff that you get on that particular platform, I'd end up getting into exchanges with people that I just didn't want to be having at that point. I just wanted to kind of take a step back. Uh, we did the player ratings on the Another Slice platform. We put the post-match show out the next morning. But five, ten minutes after the full-time whistle, I was not in a position um, you know, to, um, yeah, I was not in a position to sit there and, um, and, you know, start blaming this individual or blaming that individual. And and the kind of response I got was from a number of people to be fair. Well, when are we going to pick on these players? When are we going to highlight the shortcomings of this team? When are we going to look at, look at that and discuss that? You can do it whenever you want. I just personally prefer not to, um, not to get dragged into that when emotions are running high uh, and the emotion is very raw after such a big game like that in which the outcome was obviously a disappointing one. I think 
you know, we talked about it yesterday on the Nighty Min show. And that is another reason why I've probably found this so hard because I haven't been able to escape it. Um, all my work yesterday revolved around looking back on that game. Um, a little bit less so today. It's a little bit more about looking forward today, which I'm obviously uh, pleased to be doing. But yeah, you know, when you have to keep talking about it, you start to think of other things and other scenarios and the more opinions and points of view you listen to, the more maybe that impacts on yours. Um, and I just, you know, at the time, I didn't want to hear that Enketi is not good enough or uh, Odegaard went missing and Gabriel made a mistake at the back and Tommy Asu shouldn't have played over Ben White. I, I wasn't in the headspace where I wanted to hear all of that at that point. I wanted to reflect on the game, look back at it in my own time. I did that. And, um, and although I am gutted about the outcome and gutted about the result, I'm kind of at a point where I just need to move on from it. And I think we all do. I, I really do. Nobody's happy with the outcome. Nobody's um, pleased with how it went. But, you know, the, there comes a point where you need to draw that line between dwelling on what happened and then looking forward um, to where you're going next. And obviously Villa Park is is our next uh, destination. Uh, Tezzy May in the chat says, um, I feel for you, Harry. I'm glad I have the luxury of just turning it all off for a few days because that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, um, that's how I felt as well. That's what I wanted to do. But obviously my my job doesn't allow me to do that. And that's fine. You know, there are more benefits to my job than, than negatives. Um, I'm not for a second complaining about that or the opportunities that I get don't take me the wrong way. But yeah, I think a lot of people felt like you. Um, Tezzy, that they just wanted to be able to turn off from it. And actually, interestingly enough, I mean, it could be because the podcast is crap. Um, you know, there, there is a, a strong possibility that that's the reason. But looking at sort of the download numbers um, and the YouTube views off the back of the Everton game where we were beaten and then uh, the game that we um, we obviously lost on Wednesday night, they're really down like in comparison to what they are. So again, as I say, it could be that the podcast just no good. People don't want to listen to it. People don't care about what I've got to say. But I just found it interesting that there was a real dip in the downloads and the number of people that consume those episodes in comparison to what we normally get. And the fact that people have, I'm guessing, wanted to switch off from it all rather than jump on some sort of platform to, to start moaning and criticizing shows you that people were actually deeply hurt by what happened on Wednesday night and that people really are feeling the disappointment as opposed to that anger that you used to see sort of run rife in the Arsenal fan base off the back of a defeat. The, the reaction is very different. And that in itself tells you that Arsenal have moved forward and that Arsenal are in a much better place than they were 18 to 24 months ago. So that's another way of kind of looking at it. But anyway, that's enough on Wednesday. Um, let's look ahead then to, of course, the game at Villa Park. I mean, first of all, I want to have a little bit of a moan about the kickoff time. 12.30 away from home. It's never ideal anyway. But to have that after a Wednesday night game, uh, I think is, is harsh. Um, I know that these fixtures are chosen by the TV broadcasters in advance. And I know that obviously the Manchester City fixture uh, was a rearranged one that was put in uh, to the diary uh, at that point. And so maybe there's an argument that we're just unfortunate here and that it couldn't be helped. But I think it can be helped. You know, I think that 
you know, these teams, uh, the authorities, I should say, can do more. Now, I know Manchester City's European commitments is a problem here because obviously their games are due to be played Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the Champions League, Arsenal in the Europa League, but don't come into the competition again until the next stage because of the fact that we won the group, which is great. So it was a little bit easier for Arsenal to find the slot, but for Manchester City, it was a bit of a problem. And that's ultimately why uh, that game got put in on Wednesday where it did. But then when you look ahead, I mean, going away to Villa Park is certainly not ideal. And you add into uh, the fact that we're playing Aston Villa, the Unai Emery factor, and this becomes a really uh, difficult game and a really pressured situation. And the reason I say the Unai Emery factor is, and, and let me be clear, right, it's not because, and I'm not slagging the guy off, but it's not because I look at Unai Emery's Aston Villa and I'm shaking in my boots. It's not because I fear Unai Emery's team. Let's Let's get that out there. Let's be clear about that. It's what I fear more than their ability and more than Unai Emery's ability to pull off a game plan is the reaction that will be fueled by the fact that if we do drop points, it was to Unai Emery. If I go back to that game where we met his Villarreal side in the Europa League semi-final, and obviously they got the better of us and dumped us out, um, it felt to me that night that like, 40% of the anger and the frustration was based on the outcome, the result, what it meant in terms of being out of the competition. And probably 60% of it was rage at the fact that it was Unai Emery that had done it to us. And football, you know, is a strange game. Funny things can happen. You and, and I think what can happen in football is you can get sucked in by these types of narratives, right? So this one, the narrative tomorrow, if you're a, a newspaper columnist or if you're wanting to make kind of baity content around this game. What's your angle? Everyone knows what the angle is. Your angle is former Gunners boss could further derail Arsenal's title challenge. If they do beat us, if they do get a point off us and we end up falling further behind, you know what the narrative will be at the end of the weekend. Former Arsenal boss, disgraced Arsenal boss, sacked Arsenal boss, has uh, put the final nail in Arsenal's coffin as far as the title charge goes. That's what's coming if Arsenal don't win this game. And that adds more pressure to the situation than there would normally be in a game like this. Now, I've said it to you guys time and time again, the Premier League is a difficult, difficult league. There are maybe, with the exception of two fixtures in this league that you look at and you go, I'm, you know, if I'm top of the league, I'm definitely 100% winning that. The nature of this division means that it's incredibly unpredictable because there is a lot of good teams there are a lot of top managers and there are a lot of top quality players, even at the clubs that are less fashionable because the financial might and power of the Premier League allows now mid-table clubs to be able to go out and bring in players that in other leagues would be seen as the best. That's where we are. Going somewhere like Aston Villa isn't going to be easy. It's a winnable game, of course. I mean, we'll we'll do the comparison statistically in a little bit to kind of give you some context around where they are this season and, and where we are and the difference and the gap. But this is not an easy game. We're not in the greatest of form. Mentally, we've been hit by what happened on Wednesday, probably by what happened against Brentford as well uh, at the weekend prior. Obviously, the defeat at Everton wasn't ideal either. Mentally, we're not at our best. We're not at our best in terms of, you know, going out there and... and executing what it is that Mikel Arteta is asking us to do as well. Clearly, uh, you can see that in, in the results. We're not as efficient as we need to be. Mikel Arteta has used that word a lot 
in the last couple of days. And I agree with him. You know, that's that's been a big problem. So this was a difficult game anyway. But when you add all of those things where Arsenal are at, um, the fact that it's Unai Emery and the, the narrative that potentially breeds out of that, it's probably one of the worst fixtures we could have had on paper outside of the traditional big six away from home. And, and I genuinely see it like that. But anyway, we're going to touch on um, Mikel Arteta's press conference in just a second. Then we'll do uh, those comparisons. Let me just, um, let me just um, have a look at the comments um, and see what you guys uh, are saying. Uh, in response to my comment about, um, about the, um, the, the whole, you know, looking at the numbers, like it just tanked off the back of that Man City defeat. The DJ suite says, Harry, I'm happy to hear it's just me, but sad for you because I could turn off. It's disgusting. The hate for our own players really affected me mentally, bro. I love my club too much to hate them uh, as well. Jid um, responding to some of the comments around, I think, Eddie and Ketia in the chat. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. He says, imagine a fan claiming that a joint top goal scorer for a club is not adequate, this fan base. Um, Chris says, we really can't afford to drop points at Villa, to be honest, praying for a win because we need it bad to raise the confidence in the team. Absolutely. I've said this to you guys, uh, to you guys many times over the course of the season. It isn't about going the whole season without losing a game or going the season without having a dip in form. That is inevitable. And, you know, if Manchester City have had that, who are much better stacked in terms of quality, in terms of depth, then why were people thinking that it wasn't going to happen to Arsenal? The key is how quickly you put it right. The key is how quickly you come out of the other side of the dark tunnel. That's what I've described it as in the last few days. And you're absolutely right. We can't afford to drop points. Um, we really can't. I mean, City play Nottingham Forest this weekend. I think they win that. I think we have to take it as though they've won that. I know people say take it one week at a time, see where you're at. I'm very much at the point now where I don't even want to look at what City doing um, because we're in... I'm not going to say crisis mode, but we're in a bit of a state of emergency whereby we need to get back on track ASAP. And that should be what 110% of the focus is on right now and not what's going on at the Etihad or at the city ground, wherever it is they're playing this weekend. The focus has to be um, on uh, on Arsenal. Uh, KV says uh, we need Trossard up top instead of Eddie. Zinni to replace Xhaka. And bring back Kieran Tierney at left back. The team needs a refresh. Thank you uh, so, so much for your kind donation, mate. Really, really do appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure I agree with all of those changes that you've mentioned. But, bit of a spoiler, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit later on about my starting lineup for this game. And I do think it is time uh, that Mikel Arteta shuffles the pack because of what I've seen in the last couple of games, which is on top of the form dipping, a little bit of fatigue creeping in. And when you want to play the Arsenal way, the Mikel Arteta way, fatigue can be a big problem. And we've been really lucky that we haven't had to rotate an awful lot this season. And that's been a real key in our success so far or relative success, however you want to look at it. But I feel like now the time has come. Um, and, and that's what you brought players in for, right? To be able to do this. That's what you're building the squad out for, to be able to do this. So I do think it's time to shuffle the pack a little bit, but I'll share with you guys in a bit what exactly my changes would be. Um, 
Okay, let's uh, let's have a quick look at what Mikel Arteta had to say in today's press conference. The press conference, I think, was around about 9.30 a.m. this morning. And let me share with you uh, the transcript from Arsenal.com. We're not going to go through every single bit, but um, there are a couple of bits that I want to highlight. So I beg your pardon. I'm still getting over this cold. Um, I'm feeling a little bit better now. Um, as you can see, I'm not stopping to cough as many times, but still not 100%. And I've got a lot of work on tomorrow, so I'm hoping that uh, I feel a little bit better still tomorrow morning, which would be nice. Bear with me. Right. So, Mikel Arteta on Thomas Partey's injury. Uh, obviously, the Ghanaian missed out against Manchester City. That was a huge blow. Really, really was. Uh, Thomas Partey will be assessed today. Ahead of this one, uh, Mikel Arteta said, we have to assess him again today. He has some muscle discomfort and we have to see how he is. Uh, in more positive news, Emil uh, Smith-Rowe is back in training today. And, uh, well, he's been back in training for, I'm not exactly sure how long, but Mikel Arteta highlighted that he's due to train today. And if he is fine, he'll be in the squad. So there's a potential that Emil Smith-Rowe uh, returns as well. And look, this is the kind of thing that we need, right? I know we brought Trossard in and he's an alternative option, but to then be able to have like Smith Rowe to come in and maybe try and bring that creative spark when maybe Martin Odegaard's not having a great game or to be able to bring on Smith Rowe when maybe Saka needs a bit of a breather. This is the type of things we need. And I do think that when everyone's fit, we've got a better squad than we had, you know, a couple of months ago, but it's not Manchester City levels is the point I, I constantly make and I constantly get shot down uh, for saying. Um, he was asked about the fresh challenge uh, of being second in the league because obviously, yes, Arsenal have the game in hand, but psychologically being knocked off the top by Manchester City on Wednesday, what kind of impact does that have? And he said, look, it's an opportunity. We've talked about it for a few months now. The position that we're in, the way the team is playing and all the right things that we have to continue to do to earn the right to be there. We've seen where the level is. We want to be at that level and we're on that journey together. There were a lot of positives to take from the Manchester City match. Now, I've seen um, I've seen some Arsenal fans respond to that comment where he said, uh, there were lots of positives to take away from the Manchester City match and go, what positives? We gave away the game cheaply. What are you on about, Mikel? If you think that Mikel hasn't given them an absolute blasting in the changing room uh, post that match and in the aftermath, then I, I, I don't know what to say to you because I am certain that Mikel Arteta has expressed his disappointment at the way that Arsenal threw the game away. Um, I was in his press conference after the match. I asked him the question as to how much he thought the uh, the sort of drop-off in the second half was down to his team's level falling, but also the rise of Manchester City. And he didn't want to say it was all about Manchester City. He, he wanted to highlight, he made a point of highlighting the fact that his team weren't at their best. Mikel Arteta knows full well, um, you know, what what happened, what went wrong. Um, I'm sure his analysis is much better than mine or yours. And I trust that he has highlighted those issues, highlighted those areas. And he basically said as much in today's uh, press conference. Again, I'm not going to go through the entire press conference because there is quite a bit. You can read this for yourself on Arsenal.com or if you search it on YouTube, you can find it. I think Haters TV is probably the place I normally go to when I'm looking for a press conference, uh, an Arsenal one. So that's that's the place to go. Um 
he was asked about whether individual errors were the reason that we lost, you know, almost kind of the obvious thing to ask, isn't it? it, it you know, he, he said, yeah, look, you have to give credit to Manchester City or the team when they beat you. But when you analyse the game, I think we lost it. And that's where the disappointment comes in here. That's where the bitterness comes from. That's where it's so difficult to take. If we went out against Manchester City swinging at 100% and, you know, we failed to land a couple of knockout punches and we got caught in opening ourselves out, you sit there and you go, you know what? I'm proud of the way we took them on. I'm proud of the way we went toe to toe. I'm proud of, uh, you know, how we played. It just wasn't to be. They took their chances. We didn't. But we gifted them opportunities. And outside of those opportunities, there weren't an awful lot of hairy moments. I've watched the game back. There weren't an awful lot of moments in which you were sitting there biting your nails. Yeah, there was City possession in the second half um, and dominance in that sense. But in terms of actual clear-cut opportunities, you know, there wasn't an awful lot. Um, he was asked if Champions League football is the minimum expectation this season. Again, trying to kind of get him into the territory where he says something that people can jump on. And he said the minimum is that today the team trains exceptionally well. So Mikel Arteta is getting good at batting uh, these away. Um, he didn't really complain about the schedule uh, too much. People tried to sort of get him to say something or, or try and instigate a little bit of a rant about that. But, you know, I thought he was he handled that quite well. He kept saying, look, it's not ideal, obviously, uh, but it is what it is. We knew that we were playing on Saturday at 12.30 when we went into the game on Wednesday. And, and so it is what it is. Like, there's no point in sort of making a massive song and dance about it, I guess. He was asked about, obviously, facing uh, Unai Emery. Uh, of course, as I said to you guys, that is going to be the narrative for a lot of people going into this one. He said, look, Unai will always put up a very difficult test. He's a very good manager and I have huge respect for what he's done in every club and the success that he's had. Um, he was asked if Jorginho would start. He didn't give a, a straight answer on that. He said he's had an impact every time he's been on the field. So he is an option. Uh, he said he was really impressed by Jorginho. Um Asked also if he was tempted to um, to shake it up a little bit in terms of the team selection. And Mikel Arteta said that we're always thinking about what the best solution is in that sense. So again, look, classic Mikel Arteta. And that's why I don't want to spend too long on those press conferences because you don't get an awful lot out of Mikel Arteta. Uh, I can tell you that from experience. So yeah, anyway, moving on. Let's look ahead then. Let's, um, let's look at this one statistically uh, before we talk about the lineup and, and maybe how best to approach this one. Uh, if I bring up the Premier League website, <coughs> beg your pardon, uh, you will see that there have been 55 meetings between these two clubs in Premier League history. And Arsenal are way out in front with 30 victories in comparison to Aston Villa's 11. There have been 14 draws between the two sides. And recently uh, we've had a, a in the last three, um, we've beaten Villa all three times. We beat them 2-1. Um, at the Emirates Stadium on the 31st of August. Um, going back to March, towards the back end of the last season, we beat them 1-0. Bukayo Saka scored that day at Villa Park. So that was our last trip there. Um, the meeting prior was on a Friday night at the Emirates Stadium uh, back in October 2021. Arsenal won that one by three goals to one. But the game prior to that, we were beaten at Villa Park by a goal to nil. That was on Saturday, 6th of February 2021. And prior to that, uh, during that dismal run that we went on, do you remember um, during Arteta's, was it his first full season in charge? I think it might have been. Um, 
we were beaten 3-0 at Emirates Stadium. We were on a shocking run. It was during the COVID stuff, if you remember that one. Really, really bad day at the office there. Uh, but in the last three, we've been better against Villa. We've beaten them on all three occasions. And hopefully that can continue. Hopefully we can make it back-to-back wins at Villa Park in the Premier League. Looking at the form guide, normally Arsenal come out on top in this particular uh, comparison, but it's not looking great uh, for the Gunners, whose form is identical to Aston Villa's in terms of what they've picked up from the last five games, who sit down in 11th place in the Premier League. Villa have lost their last two. They were beaten at home by Leicester City, and obviously they lost at Manchester City uh, last weekend. Arsenal beaten by Man City, drew with Brentford prior to that and lost at Everton before that. But it's not that long ago that Arsenal were in fantastic form, beating Spurs and Man United in back-to-back games. How we'd love uh, to um, to jump back on it this weekend. Uh, looking at the season so far, I mentioned that Aston Villa are down in 11th place, Arsenal in second. The Gunners have won double the amount of Premier League fixtures uh, that Aston Villa have so far this season. We've won 16 in comparison to their eight. They've drawn on four occasions. We've drawn three times. They've lost 10 times and we've lost three. Average goal score per match, they're just over one on 1.18, whereas Arsenal sit on just over two at 2.14. Average goals conceded. Arsenal below one, 0.05. Aston Villa concede 1.55 goals per match. What you might find interesting uh, is that Despite Aston Villa being mid-table, et cetera, et cetera, they managed five clean sheets, which is not uh, to be sniffed at, really. We've managed nine chances created. Arsenal, 1.77 per game in comparison to Villa's 1.05. Remember, these are the Premier League statistics. Always difficult to know what exactly they quantify or, or what exactly they categorise, I should say, as a um, as a clear chance. But, yeah. Anyway, uh, in terms of uh, biggest wins, biggest defeats, uh, their biggest win was 4-0 at home to Brentford earlier in the season. Their biggest defeat was a 4-0 drubbing up at St. James's Park. Arsenal's worst defeat was still that game against Manchester United away. Obviously, the Man City one uh, uh, was, um, you know, the same as that the other night. That was at home, so maybe you should put that in that category. But our biggest win was a 5-0 victory over Nottingham Forest. In terms of top player statistics, Arsenal leading the way in most of the categories here. Uh, goals, Bukayo Saka's got eight. Martin Odegaard's got eight in the Premier League. Also, Gabriel Martinelli's in third. He's on seven. When it comes to assists, again, Bukayo Saka leads the way. Gabriel Jesus, who's been out for God knows how long, sits in joint second alongside Douglas Luiz. When it comes to passes, Arsenal lead the way. The two centre-backs at the forefront of that, William Saliba, and Gabriel Magalhaes with Thomas Partey in third. When it comes to tackles, though, it is an Aston Villa man who heads uh, the list, and that is Bubakar Kamara, who's made 43 tackles, one more than Thomas Partey, who sits in second with 42. Okay, so those are some of the statistics. Let's move on then to talk a little bit about how Arsenal should line up. Should the Gunners shake things up a bit? Is it time for Mikel Arteta to shuffle the pack? Is it time for him to make wholesale changes? Is it time for him to make multiple changes? Is just one change enough? Let's get into that now. I want to hear uh, from you guys in the live chat. Let me know what your starting lineup would be, but I'm going to share with you guys mine now. And there are probably a couple of surprises as far as a few of you uh, will be concerned. I'm going to start with Aaron Ramsdale in goal. I just think that 
when it comes to Ramsdale, the way he distributes the ball is just at a so much higher level than what Matt Turner can do. And I, I trust Matt Turner as a stopper. I do. I trust him to catch things. I trust him to make saves. I've got no real concerns about Matt Turner in that sense. But when I see Matt Turner pick up the ball, um, you know, at his feet, I worry about his ability to break the lines. And sometimes when I look at him trying it, it just looks a little bit uncomfortable. Now, the back line, um, as far as I would have it, would see Ben White come back in at right back. Listen, a lot's been made of the decision to play Tommy Asu the other night. And I have to be completely honest here. I had said post-Everton and post-Brentford that Ben White wasn't very good, that he hadn't hit the level that he'd shown really um, for a little while and and the level that had probably made him going into that last couple of weeks, probably the most consistent defender in the division. I genuinely think he was that good. But we saw the level drop a little bit and maybe Mikel Arteta should have shown a bit more faith in him and should have shown um, some patience and some trust in him to kind of play through that. But Again, we talk about the need for a squad and, and we talk about the positions. We always talk about the positions in which we're not well stocked. Right back is one where we are. Right back is a position where you look at Ben White and you look at Tommy Asu and you think there isn't a million miles between the two. I personally prefer Ben White. But, you know, again, the drop off isn't significant. Just like at left back where people talk about Tierney Zinchenko. I think they're different players, Tierney Zinchenko. But in terms of what they give to the team in terms of their level, performance level, I don't think there's a massive difference. I think one stylistically fits us better in terms of what we look to do in the build-up, but that's about it. The centre-backs, I'd stick with the same two, Gabriel and Saliba. Um, I thought Saliba was fantastic up against Haaland the other night. I thought he was probably Arsenal's best player on the night and was unlucky in the end to be on the receiving end of that defeat. Gabriel made a mistake, um, probably made a couple of mistakes on the night, one of which he got away with because of uh, the VAR stepping in, which is fine. Ultimately, that's what it's there for. But I just think he's been fantastic this season, Gabriel. And yeah, there have been a couple of moments where he's been a little bit rash. Saliba's had the same thing at certain points and he's come through it. Gabriel's done enough to deserve to continue in the team. Um, you know, do you think that Jakub Kivio is ready to come in away at Villa Park? Not not for me, not at this moment in time. So I stick with the Gabriel and Saliba partnership. I have, though, made a change at left back. I'm going to bring Tierney in for Zinchenko. And I want to explain a little bit about why. Um, I don't want people to kind of think that I'm shitting on Zinchenko because I'm not. I think he's a fantastic player. And I've often talked about, and I think we did a show specifically on the Another Slice platform for our members in which we compared the two players. And why Zinchenko is, as I've already mentioned on this episode, a better fit. But I just think that Zinchenko, what Zinchenko brings to the party is this ability to step into midfield and this ability to break lines with his passing and this ability to help us dominate matches because of that positioning. That's where, you know, that's where I'm at. That's that's what I think Zinchenko's strengths are. Add to that his leadership qualities, his experience, his know-how all valid things to throw into the mix as well. But when it comes to Zinchenko, I think in the last couple of games, last couple of weeks, I think people have worked out what it is that he does and have made it difficult for him to actually carry out those things. As a result and as a consequence of that, 
that's been less effective and he certainly isn't going to or isn't instructed to go on the outside and provide support to help us unlock teams in the wide areas. Kieran Tierney is the opposite. Kieran Tierney is a left back. If you want Kieran Tierney to go infield a little bit, he can do it to a certain point, to a certain degree. He won't do it to the same level as Zinchenko, but he's certainly more effective making runs on the outside of the winger, overlapping and getting in behind teams to then put the ball into the penalty area. Then if you play with a winger who likes to cut in field, as all of our left wing options do, in theory, he should create some space for them. What we've always tried to do this season, as I've mentioned on many occasions, is create the overloads on the inside of the pitch. But when you get sussed out, when you get found out, you have to have the ability to then change that up and do it on the outside. And, and I think Tierney gives us that as well as probably more defensive solidarity than Alexander Zinchenko. I think he's a better defender than Alexander Zinchenko. I think he's more useful when defending set pieces. And I think he's got a, a better instinct when it comes to sensing danger. Maybe not in terms of breaking lines with his passing and all the rest of it, but in terms of straight up defending, which is something we struggled with in the last few weeks, I think Tierney gives you that. Tierney's not done an awful lot wrong when he's played this season. It's just that Zinchenko has become a real imperative part of the side. But I think that needs to change now. And I think given that we played on Wednesday night and we're now playing on Saturday early, I think Mikel Arteta's got the perfect opportunity to make these changes now without ruffling feathers, without upsetting anybody, because he can hide behind almost or use uh, the reason of the, the sort of quick turnaround as an excuse to make these changes. Moving into midfield, I've put Thomas Partey on the graphic because... If he's fit, he plays. He's the first name on the team sheet when available as far as I'm concerned. But um, there is a chance that he won't be fit. There is a chance that he won't be available. Mikel Arteta has said he'll be assessed today. We were told when the news broke that he was injured and unavailable for Manchester City that it wasn't a long-term thing and that it was something that he could uh, get over pretty quickly. It was described as muscle discomfort. Um but yeah, if he's fit, he plays. If he isn't, then it's a straight swap for me. Jorginho goes in there. Some of you have been calling for Xhaka to come out of the team. Um, not for me. Not for me. I think he's one of the leaders. I think he's solid. I don't think he had his greatest game against Manchester City, especially in the second half the other day. Um, but I think Granit Xhaka has been so, so important to this team um, this season. And I just don't see what the standout uh, alternative is people talking about Zinchenko. Zinchenko has not played a single game for Arsenal in midfield. Um, yeah, he's not played a single game in midfield since joining Arsenal. And actually, when you go back as far as his Manchester City days, especially in the last couple of years, he hardly played a game in midfield for Manchester City either. Zinchenko's not a midfielder anymore. Like, he's just not. He's an option there if we're desperate, but he's just not that. So, no, I'm sticking with Xhaka in there. Odegaard, I'm going to stick with as well. A little bit quiet the other night when we kind of needed him to pick things up. But as I mentioned on the, the post-match show, I felt that that was a lot to do with Manchester City's plan to stifle him. And, um, and they did a very, very good job of that. One of the reasons we've been so effective for the most part this season is that when teams have managed to stifle one or two of our stars, Another one's been able to pop up and take it on. And it's it's a culmination of things that have gone wrong within a short space of time that has put us in this position that we're in today. So, you know, Odegaard gets marked out of the game. 
you're looking at Saka. Saka gets marked out of the game. Okay, you can mark two of them out of the game. Can you mark a third out of the game? No, but Martinelli's form, unfortunately, has suffered a little bit of late. And I actually think that Martinelli might benefit from having Tierney um, playing at left-back, although I have a spoiler, sorry, uh, left Martinelli out of this lineup. I've gone with Trossard, but yeah, um, you know, Martinelli might benefit from having a fullback that overlaps him and just allows him to come back inside with a little bit more um, purpose and without being tasked with holding the width. I don't know. Um, Verminatoro on Zinchenko says um, he usually plays in midfield for Ukraine. Now, that's correct, but that is a I know people talk about international football and it being the pinnacle of football. It's not. It really isn't. Um, the pinnacle of football is club football, especially in the Premier League. It's the elite competition, um, you know, along with Champions League, etc., etc. For me, Zinchenko just isn't a midfield player anymore. And we've not seen it before, and I don't expect to see it uh, at the weekend. I don't think he was brought into play there. I think we were under that impression as fans. But I don't think that was ever what Mikel Arteta had uh, in mind for him. So I'd be surprised if he played in midfield unless there was a massive injury crisis and there wasn't much choice. Um, as I've said, Trossard would start on the left for me ahead of Gabriel Martinelli. I was reluctant to take him out of the side prior to today uh, or prior to this weekend because I thought he'd earn the right to be given the opportunity to play through uh, whatever it is that he's going through where his performances have just tailed off a little bit. Uh, because of how good he's been so far this season. But I think Mikel Arteta was right to highlight in his press conference that every time Trossard's come on, he's had some form of impact. And I think it's only fair that given that when he's come on, he's had that impact, that he gets an opportunity to start. And again, this feels like, because of the quick turnaround, the perfect opportunity for Mikel Arteta to make a few of these changes. And look, when it comes to Leandro Trossard, you know, this is not, you know, I... Look, I'll be honest, I don't think he's got the potential that Martinelli has. And I think Martinelli at full tilt is such a handful. I mean, how many managers of opposition clubs do we need to tell us that Martinelli is so difficult to live with before we believe that? But in Leandro Trossard, you're not talking about bringing in a kid and significantly weakening your side. You're talking about bringing in a 28-year-old seasoned forward, Belgian international, who's already got eight goals in the Premier League so far this season. So, that feels like the right move to make as far as I'm concerned. It didn't feel like the right thing to do going into Manchester City, in my opinion, but it feels like it now. Um, again, the quick turnaround being a big factor here. So Trossard comes in for me and I'd go with Nketiah up front because we don't have an alternative. I've read people saying Martinelli should play there or Trossard should play there. They're not centre-forwards and they're not going to do the work that Mikel Arteta wants uh, his centre-forward to do. Eddie Nketiah isn't in great form in terms of the last couple of games, but he had performed very well up until that point, like pretty much everybody else in this side. He deserves the trust. He deserves the opportunity to play through it. And hopefully he has a good game at the weekend at Aston Villa. But yeah, um, a lot of you making the point as well in the chat that one of the reasons that Martinelli at the start of the season in particular was performing to such a high standard was because of Gabriel Jesus's presence. And I agree with that. Um, you know, the pair combined so brilliantly, didn't they? And there was a point where Martinelli was probably outshining Bukayo Saka because of that understanding and combination play uh, with his compatriots. So, yeah, I mean, things change in football, don't they? And they change pretty quickly. But 
the team I would go with, as I say, is Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Tierney across the back. Partey assuming he's fit. If he's not, Jorginho, Odegaard and Xhaka in midfield. Trossard on the left, Saka on the right. And then I'd go with Enketia up front and through the middle. Okay, um, that's my team. I guess it's kind of prediction time, isn't it? But before uh, we do that, we're going to take a very short pause. I'm going to give you guys a couple of quick messages. I'm going to ask you to like and subscribe uh, or like the video and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on audio, I'm going to ask you to leave us a review. I'll be back in just a second and uh, we're going to share some predictions. We'll take your predictions and your questions. So start filling up the chat box. Okay, we are back. Arsenal taking on Aston Villa this weekend at Villa Park. Unai Emery coming face to face with uh, Arsenal Football Club for the first time since he returned to the Premier League in a managerial capacity, taking up the reins at Aston Villa after Steven Gerrard was sacked. How will we fare? I think Arsenal are going to get back on it. I think Arsenal are going to win. I think Arsenal are going to turn things around make us all feel a hell of a lot better because there's too much quality in that team for us not to turn it around. Um, yeah, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult game. At this moment, I would take a scrappy 1-0 win from a set piece uh, where we managed to bundle the ball in over the goal line. It, it doesn't really matter how it comes as long as it does. And um, and I'm back in Arsenal to go out there and win it. I'm going to go for 3-1 uh, to the Arsenal. I think we'll concede, but I think something's going to click up front and um, and I'm hoping that it goes with the lineup that I've gone with and that we uh, reap the rewards of that. Uh, so that's my prediction. Let me know some of yours as well in the chat. Um, let's see what we've got. Um, Rudy says, uh, it's simple, Harry. We just don't have the squad to sustain a title challenge right to the end. Our starting 11 is good enough, but it's burning out now. Uh, if the ownership was serious, we'd get our top targets. Uh, let's take this super chat from Manuel, who joins us all the way from Mexico. Uh, Manuel, welcome, my friend. Thank you so much. He says, hello from Mexico. Um, tired at first after defeats to perhaps the best team in the world should not. Oh, OK, sorry. Suffering, basically suffering defeats to perhaps the best team in the world should not make us cry babies. Newcomers will adapt and Jesus will return. We're an excellent team. Uh, should the elbow elbow to Jesus had been a red card? Do you mean to Gabriel? There, yeah, he says sorry to Gabriel. Uh, you're talking about Erling Haaland's coming together with him. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think it was easy to kind of get sucked into the emotion on the night because, of course, um, they'd had that coming together and the penalty thing. Uh, just a few minutes prior, but no, there wasn't enough in that for me. It wasn't a like a, an elbow or like a punch or a, it's described as an elbow. It was more of a hand and it certainly wasn't done with enough force as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, uh, let's see what else we've got. Lots of you calling for Enketia to be dropped. That just it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Um, it's not going to happen. Um, Afsar disagrees with me. He says shuffling the pack will disrupt the team for sure. So not a good idea, in my opinion. Fair enough. Um, it's fine to think that. I just I just think that this is the time I, I think we need it. Um, Jid says, 
Blaming Enketia for Martinelli's form is laughable. Worst fan base in football. When Martinelli tries to take on players and fails, we should blame Eddie for that now, should we? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fair to say that Jesus being in the team benefits Gabriel Martinelli. But to say that Enketia is the reason his form's dropped off is unfair. So there's a middle ground here I think we need to find. Um, Amira says, actually, I'd start Jorginho. We've rushed Partey back before and it never ends well. We've also started him half fit and he ends up being the worst midfielder on the pitch. Only play him if he's 100%. I agree that if there's any risk around Thomas Partey, then you don't play him. Um, you know, if if he's deemed fit enough to start, I trust that the medical team have made the correct decision there. But yeah, Jorginho would, would come in. That'd be the, the answer for sure. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Russ Morgan says, uh, we had better quality than Everton and Brentford too. Uh, after I said that we're going to uh, go out there and win the game. Yeah, of course. But, you know, cream always rises to the top, doesn't it? Normally, anyway, eventually at some point. Uh, but yeah, what else have we got? Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Let's take a couple more. Uh, Halo Mateus says, will Unai Emery simply park the bus? and try to hit us on the break, do you think? I don't think they'll simply sit back and try and park the bus. I mean, you've got to think about, you know, Aston Villa's ambitions and hopes as a football club. They're a massive football club at Villa Park in front of their own fans. You know, there'll be an element of pressure on Unai Emery to play a certain way. Not to the extent it was at Arsenal, but, you know, he'll need to... Um, He'll need to get them performing. He'll need to get them, um, you know, he'll, he'll he'll need to make sure that his team has a good balance to it. One of the problems I always felt that Unai Emery had at Arsenal was he, he couldn't find that balance. He, he struggled to find that balance. When we were throwing bodies forward, we, we weren't very good in the transition. And then when we were scared of the transition, we became really negative in the way we attacked and, and sort of, he couldn't quite strike that balance between defence and attack. He'd push our fullbacks on because without them, we didn't have an awful lot of creativity. Um, but then that would leave us vulnerable defensively. I'm just looking at um, the BBC Sport website. In terms of team news, Aston Villa's Tyrone Mings is a doubt uh, with the thigh issue that caused him, caused him to miss Manchester City. Uh, Bertrand Traore could be involved and after injury, Diego Carlos is back in training. Uh, he nears a return from a ruptured Achilles, but the game may come just too soon for him. Um, I'll give you guys a, a few statistics um, around this one as well. Uh, Arsenal looking to complete successive league doubles over Aston Villa. Only one of the past 21 meetings in all competitions between these two sides has ended in a draw. And the Gunners have won only one more Premier League away game against West Ham than the 13 victories they've earned at Villa Park. So there you go. Uh, a few stats going into that one. Um, Arsenal have taken 25 points out of a possible 33 in their 11 top flight away fixtures this season. That's just three shy of their tally in the whole of last season. So we're moving in the right direction, whether people want to admit it or not. Um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Jovan says, I said in the comments of one of your recent videos that the team 
we have is overperforming above their expected level and got a lot of heat for it. Do you think we've overrated our players? For me, we have. Um, I think that when you have a group of young players, you're going to have these periods. I think I've said this to you guys many times. Consistency is one of the hardest things to find in football. And I think when you're more experienced and you've been there and done it and you've been through three or four bad patches, you then know or understand what you need to do or trust in what you're doing and that it will get you through the other side. And I think that's what happens. Like in a situation like now, an experienced side bounces back straight away, bounces back really quickly because they've been there before. They learn not to panic. Their experience tells them not to drift away from what's worked so far. They don't uh, sort of try new things in a desperate attempt to come out the other side. They trust in their own process as a footballer and and they get through that. And, and that's what experience gives you. Inexperience means that you might be tempted to do any of those things that I've just mentioned. And and that's where the manager comes in as well. Mikel Arteta, for, for all his strengths, is not the most experienced manager. Let's be honest about that. And I think that showed a little bit in the second half against Manchester City where they made a tweak and I don't think he responded to it quickly enough or at all, you could argue. Um, I don't think we've overrated the players in terms of their talent, but I do think that we set the bar in that first half of the season so high that people failed to realise maybe or understand where we were actually at and the fact that it could all come crashing down like a house of cards very, very quickly. So... Yeah, I'm not saying uh, that the players are overrated. I think it's clear that their talent is there. But I always said that the the levelling out was coming. And the key would be that when it did come, how quickly would it, or, or yeah, how quickly could we get back to more like the level that's seen us sit at the top of the league for, for most of the season so far? Jid says, with Emil Smith-Rowe coming back, we could have three very capable left-sided forwards in him, Trossard and Martinelli. Which player do you think Arteta would move to another position and which position? Well, I think I think the fact that Trossard was sold to us as fans by Mikel Arteta as someone that can play anywhere across the, the forward line means that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a belief that he could do a different role. Emil Smith-Rowe is someone that Mikel Arteta's talked about for a long time and, and versatility always seems to be at the top of the list when Emil Smith-Rowe is the subject of conversation. So um, I think Martinelli's probably the last one you're going to see move in terms of his position. I know that's not how the fans see it, but that's how I see it in terms of what I think Mikel Arteta thinks. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe can play the Odegaard role. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Emil Smith-Rowe was used as an eight when we play at home against certain teams or when the game state dictates that we go out and, and go kind of full pelt at someone in the way that Fabio Vieira has been brought on, for example, in the last couple of weeks to replace Granit Xhaka in games. He's come on as an eight. Now there's a question around whether he's physical enough and whether he's got the attributes to play that position in the Premier League. But when you change your approach a little bit, when you try to be a bit more proactive and a little bit more gung-ho, you will probably see that. So I think Martinelli's probably the last one that Mikel Arteta is going to mess around with his position. But I think the other two are flexible. I think Emil Smith-Rowe, though, is at the top of that list in terms of versatility and in terms of being seen as someone who can cover multiple roles. Hope that answers your question, mate. Thank you. Uh, what else 
have I got? Uh, let's take this one from Sports Genius. Harry, is there any update on when Gabriel Jesus is coming back? Arsenal have been very, very careful about this and they have done, or in fact, they've gone out of their way um, to not give a, a, a return date, to not um, commit to anything. I'm hoping that it will be next month um, at some point. I think from what we understand, he's a little bit ahead of schedule, but because of the nature of the injury and the nature of his importance, we we can't afford to rush him back. Um, but hopefully next month he'll be back in and around the first team and uh, and back in full training and and then you know at the point where he can uh, help the team because God knows that we need him uh, right now. But also it's going to take him a bit of time to get up to speed. You know, it, it's not one of those things that you can just recover from overnight. Um, Mikel Arteta said he's not ready to train with the team yet, but we have seen images and, and suggestions that he is back on the grass at Colney and he is working with the ball and, and all of this stuff. So hopefully he's not too far away. Hopefully we'll get a nice surprise at some point uh, whereby uh, Gabriel Jesus pops up in the squad to give us a boost maybe before we expect it. That'll be nice, won't it? But couldn't give you an exact date or a, a name because Arsenal aren't giving one at the moment. So it's very difficult to guess given how uh, closed off everything is and the fact that we we can't really see him in training and we don't know to what extent he is training and, and how far his involvement goes. But yeah, thank you so, so much. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Thank you all for tuning in. Really, really do appreciate it. I know it's been, um, I know it's been really shit um, the last couple of weeks. I know that people felt incredibly shit um, after the game on Wednesday. I certainly did. I found it really difficult to get past. but. Wins in football, they can help. They can help a lot. And if Arsenal can pick one up at the weekend and um, and sort of get ourselves kick-started again, then I think everybody will feel a lot better at the fact that we would have been able to come through um, this difficult period. Um, Amira says, are you going to the game, Harry? Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be at the game tomorrow. Um, I'm actually working on another game uh, for BBC. Um I don't like the idea of working um, when Arsenal are playing, but, um, you know, when you choose this career path and and you sort of, you're knocking on the door, looking for opportunities, you, you have to take them when you come, when they come your way. And, um, you know, everybody knows that probably watches this or listens to this, that I want to be a commentator. Um, you know, that's what I'm working towards. I've been lucky enough to mostly cover Arsenal games uh, as a reporter uh, as well this season, you know, I've been to pretty much every game, I think, bar two in the league. And this is going to be number three. Um, so it's been amazing this season. It's been an incredible ride. And I'm so thankful for to BBC for looking at me and saying, well, this guy, he's an Arsenal guy. So let's get him at Arsenal. It's been amazing. Um, so I'm so, so grateful for that. Um, to work for the London edition of BBC is amazing. And uh, I'm so grateful. But I've been asked to go and do uh, commentary tomorrow. Uh, on the Millwall versus Sheffield United game, a game uh, towards the top of the championship, a big game for both sides. And I've been asked to do full commentary on that, which is ultimately what I want to do. And I, and I don't want to pass up uh, those kind of opportunities. So I won't be at the Arsenal game tomorrow, um, but I'll be across it. I'll be um, watching it back in full as soon as I get home. And, um, and we'll probably bring you the podcast quite late tomorrow. 
so that I can uh, sit and watch it all back before we do that. Um, but yeah, is what it is. <sighs> don't know how to feel going into tomorrow. I really don't. But anyway, look, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much. Uh, really, really appreciate you guys joining. As always, like on the video if you haven't done so already. Where are we at? Look, come on, we've only got 76 likes on the board. There's no reason um, why we haven't got um, why we haven't got a hundred disappointing. Uh, so fingers crossed, uh, we get there before I end the stream. Let me take a couple more comments actually, cause some funny ones coming through, um, before we go, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new, by the way. Um, what else have we got? Uh, uh the DJ suite says, yes, Harry, my guy really needed this today. Good food for the brain. Have a super Friday. We celebrate the win at tomorrow good luck with work tomorrow thank you uh so so much uh, matt says uh, thanks champ take it easy and good luck this week uh by the way you'll make a great commentator thank you so much he says i enjoyed the calmness of the show very refreshing uh cast says surely when you reach your goal of becoming a commentator you won't be able to commentate on arsenal games why not um why not um no but look it's you know that's that's what i want to do it's what i've always wanted to do um from when I was a kid and I realized I wasn't going to become a footballer and to even be in a position where I get to do it professionally now is mad. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and yeah, look, obviously I'm an Arsenal man and I cover Arsenal and that will never stop. Uh, that will never stop. I promise you it will never stop. Um, but yeah, there, there will be clashes from time to time. And, and this is one of those situations. And, um, you know, I've worked so hard to get to the position where, I'm even considered for these things. I don't want to let that go. Um, you know, it just is what it is. Uh, thank you for all the good luck messages. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Thank you to Faluso as well, to Oboya. Uh, thank you all so much. I will catch you all very, very soon. Until then, take care of yourselves. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.